0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 196. Today's big Bible question is How has the house of God become a den of thieves? So, hello, friends, welcome to another weekend. Happy Saturday to you. You know, if you look around outside, things are confusing, they're scary, they're disheartening right now, right? I've never seen more disunity in my home country than I've seen now, nor have I seen so many vocalized disagreements and differing assessments of current events than I have seen over the past couple of months, and that includes Christians too, maybe even especially Christians. I think this is a time to walk softly with our opinions and dig down deep into the roots of our relationship with Jesus, consuming his word like never before and being sensitive to the leadings and reminders of his spirit. Roots down and fruit up, my friends. Today's Bible readings include Joshua 14 and 15, Psalms 146 and 147, Jeremiah 7 and Matthew 21. And interestingly... I'm sure, and I'm sure that our old friend Robert Murray McShane, who is the one who authored our Bible reading plan for this year, I'm sure he planned this uh, convergence. But our focus passage today is from two different chapters of Scripture and two different books, Jeremiah 7 and Matthew 21, that both warn about the same issue, God's house becoming a den of thieves. So two big questions we want to consider today. Number one, What in the world does Jesus mean when he says that certain people were turning his father's house into a den of thieves or a den of robbers? And number two, why does this action make Jesus so angry? Now, you might not like the way I phrased that question, or maybe you just cringed a little bit when you heard it. Jesus? Angry? Well, surely not. But yes, indeed, I actually believe that Jesus was angry at this point, and I believe that. Contrary to c n anchor Don Lemon, Jesus was completely without sin or fault in his life, and it's possible to be angry and not sin, as Paul notes famously in ephesians four twenty six I believe that were there were two different times that Jesus cleansed the temple in his ministry. one was at the beginning and is recorded in John chapter two, and one is near the end in matthew twenty one Both of those events are kind of similar in a couple of ways, but not similar enough that we just have to assume they were the same things. I actually think they're different enough that they appear to be separate events. So to talk about this whole den of robbers issue, which is something I think still is going on today, let's first read Jeremiah 7, then we're going to read Matthew 21, and then we're going to compare the Matthew 21 temple cleansing scene to the scene of temple cleaning at the beginning of Jesus's ministry in John chapter 2. So let's go to Jeremiah 7 first. Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the house of the Lord and there call out this word. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who enter through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says. Correct your ways and your actions, and I will allow you to live in this place. Do not trust deceitful words chanting, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Instead, if you really correct your ways in your actions, if you act justly towards one another, if you no longer oppress the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, and no longer shed innocent blood in this place or follow other gods bringing harm on yourself, I will allow you to live in this place, the land I gave to your ancestors long ago and forever. But look, you keep trusting in deceitful words that cannot help Do you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear, falsely burn incense to Baal and follow other gods that you have not known? Then do you come and stand before me in this house that bears my name and say, we are rescued so we can continue doing all these detestable acts. (laughs) Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers in your view? Yes, I too have seen it. This is the Lord's declaration. But return to my place that was at Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first. See what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. Now because of you have done all these things, this is the Lord's declaration. And because I have spoken to you time and time again but you wouldn't listen, and I have called to you but you wouldn't answer, what I did to Shiloh I will do to the house that bears my name, the house in which you trust, the place that I gave you and your ancestors. I will banish you from my presence, just as I banished all of your brothers, all the descendants of Ephraim. As for you, do not pray for these people. Do not offer a cry or a prayer on their behalf. And do not beg me, for I will not listen to you. Don't you see how they behave in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The sons gather wood, the fathers light the fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven, and they pour out drink offerings to other gods so that they provoke me to anger. But are they really provoking me? This is the Lord's declaration. Isn't it they themselves being provoked to disgrace? Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Look, my anger, my burning wrath is about to be poured out on this place, on people and animals, on the tree of the field and on the produce of the land. My wrath will burn and not be quenched. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, "'Add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices "'and eat the meat yourselves. "'For when I brought your ancestors out of the land of Egypt, "'I did not speak with them or command them "'concerning burnt offering and sacrifice. "'However, I did give them this command, "'Obey me, then I will be your God, "'and you will be my people. "'Follow every way I command you "'so that it may go well with you. Let "'Yet they didn't listen or pay attention.'" but followed their own advice and their own stubborn, evil heart. They went backward and not forward. Since the day your ancestors came out of the land of Egypt until today, I have sent all my servants, the prophets, to you time and time again. However, my people wouldn't listen to me or pay attention to me, but became obstinate. They did more evil than their ancestors. When you speak all these things to them, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer you. Therefore declare to them, This is the nation that would not listen to the Lord their God and would not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It has disappeared from their mouths. Cut off the hair of your sacred vow and throw it away. Raise up a dirge on the barren heights, for the Lord has rejected and abandoned the generation under his wrath. For the Judeans have done what is evil in my sight. This is the Lord's declaration. They have set up their abhorrent things in the house that bears my name in order to defile it. They have built thy places of Topheth to Ben-Hinnom Valley in order to burn their sons and daughters in the fire. A thing I did not command. I never entertained the thought. Therefore, look, the days are coming, the Lord's declaration, when this place will no longer be called Topheth and Ben-Hinnom Valley, but Slaughter Valley, Topheth will become a cemetery because there will be no other burial place. The corpses of these people will become food for the birds of the sky and for the wild animals of the land with no one to scare them away. I will remove from the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem the sound of joy and gladness and the voices of the groom and the bride for the land will become a desolate waste. Well, mercy. Ah, uh, what a passage. We're going to get to Matthew 21 in a second, but my goodness, what was happening in Jeremiah 7 is you had all these people who were going to church and calling themselves followers of God, and they were saying, oh, we stand in the house of God, the house of God, the house of God. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. But they weren't following God. They were completely ignoring his word. They were not acting justly towards each other. They were oppressing aliens. That means foreigners in their land. They were oppressing fatherless people, orphans. They were oppressing widows. They were following other gods. They were engaging in idolatry. And God was saying, look, you can't just keep coming to my temple. You can't just keep coming to my church and behaving this way, oppressing foreigners and orphans and widows and engaging in idolatry and greed and stealing and stuff like that. You can't do that. I'm going to destroy this land because I keep calling to you over and, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and you are ignoring my word and you're ignoring my people. It's its, it's like a frustrated father who's pleading with his child He loves him deeply, but he's pleading with his child. I've told you over and over and over and over again, and the child just will not listen to the father. Well, what comes after that? Of course, punishment comes. And you can hear... Uh, Not in my voice, not in my articulation, but just reading the passage, you can hear the frustration and the anger in God's voice for his people because they were religious. They went to temple, they went to church, they identified as Christians, but they didn't follow the ways of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, I feel like this is such a condemnation of Christians in the West in 2020, in the United Kingdom, in the United States of America, in Northern Ireland, in Ireland, Ireland, and, and in other places. This is a condemnation of us. We do so many religious things, but we're not wholehearted in our following of God and His Word. And, and, and this is horrifyingly frustrating to God. Let's keep reading in Matthew 21. Verse 1. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent the two disciples, telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, See, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a foal, on a, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar, saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer But you are making it a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus replied, Yes. Have you never read... You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies? Then he left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. Early in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. At once the fig tree withered. When the disciples saw it, they were amazed and said, How did the fig tree wither so quickly? Jesus answered them, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you tell this mountain, Be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. And if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, "'By what authority are you doing these things? "'Who gave you this authority?' "'Jesus answered them, "'I will also ask you a question, "'and if you answer it for me, "'then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. "'Did John's baptism come from heaven, "'or was it of human origin?' They discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the crowd because everyone considers John to be a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, My son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I don't want to. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the man went to the other and said the same thing. I will, sir, he answered, but he didn't go. Which of the two did his father's will? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, but you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds then and believe them. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. He leased it to tenant farmers and went away. When the time came to harvest fruit, he sent his farm servants to the farmers to collect his fruit. The farmers took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first group, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those farmers? He will completely destroy those terrible men, they told him, and lease his vineyard to other farmers who will give him his fruit at the harvest. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This is what the Lord has done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will shatter him. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they knew he was speaking about them. Although they were looking for a way to arrest him, they feared the crowds because the people regarded him as a prophet. So, a very quick scene in Matthew 21 where Jesus drives out the money changers because they are turning his temple into his father's house, into a den of thieves. Similar, but different story in John 2, verses 13 through 17. The Jewish Passover was near, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal, for your house will consume me. Now, it seems to me, That the episodes in John 2 and Matthew 21 seem to be the fieriest that Jesus gets in his entire life. I don't know that there's any other place that where Jesus shows this high of a level of emotion. Although maybe Matthew 23 comes close when Jesus just absolutely excoriates the Pharisees. Why is Jesus so angry and upset and passionate about his father's house and what's going on here? And I think the answer is, at least partially, because the focus is on the wrong treasure. And that is a deadly, dangerous thing that was leading multitudes astray in, during Jesus' time away from the true gospel of what he was teaching and headlong into some sort of hellish prosperity-focused teaching that was all about building up the wealth of those running the temple rather than pointing all to the true wealth of the glory of God and the visitation of his son. And I think that kind of thing is still happening today. Just turn on your TV to some of the religious channels, and I think you might see some examples of such thing. The focus is on the wrong treasure. Now, let's listen to John Piper talk about the John 2 passage, realizing that the truths of uh, John 2 really are tightly intertwined with the truths from Matthew 21. Even though the two scenes are different, the spiritual application of both is largely the same. Keep your eyes and heart on the right treasure and not the shiny but worthless treasures of the world. Piper says, in verse 16, Jesus says, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Jesus does not say that the sellers and money changers are robbers or that the animals are defective or that the place is a place of prayer, though it is. That's in Matthew 21. In John 2, he says that they have turned his father's house into a marketplace, a bazaar an emporium. The disciples saw this incredible display of fury. He was using a homemade whip of ropes and loosing the oxen, which oxen are big, and dumping boxes of money on the ground and turning over tables and saying with who knows how high a piercing a voice over all the bleeding, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And when the disciples saw this, they connected connected it with Psalm 69, 9, where king david says zeal for your house has consumed me and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me jesus was consumed with zeal for his father's house and reproaches were no doubt raining down on him like torrents what in god's name do you think you're doing so what made jesus so angry the contrast he pointed out was between his father's house, and a marketplace. His father's house means this house is about knowing and loving and treasuring a person. My father, his father. In this temple, says Jesus, my father has the supreme place. He is the supreme treasure here. Psalm 84, 11 says, a day in your courts is better than a thousand days elsewhere. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you, says Psalm seventy-three twenty-five. But that focus, where it should have been, had been replaced in the temple of Jesus' day by a focus on trade. And the anger is directed at those who are selling and handling the currency. Jesus could see through the veneer of religious helpfulness in the heart. In fact, in verse 25, John says, he himself knew what, what was in man. That's John 2.25. So what did Jesus see? He saw that this marketplace was not advancing communion with his heavenly father. It was not flowing from the love of God. It was flowing from the love of money. And what had made it worse was that religious ritual and vaunted helpfulness by, you know, changing money were being used as a cover for greed. Oh, the entanglements of greed and religion in our city and in our day. Piper says another story just broke this week of a big church-based Ponzi scheme with a pastor bilking his people of a $100 million. I think this was like a sermon from 2014. That's what Jesus saw, says Piper, hypocrisy. Religion used as a front for greed, empty forms of love for God, plastering over the insatiable love of money. Jesus boils when he sees formal godliness as a cover for gain. Jesus made it very clear that underneath the religious legalism of the Pharisees, he saw the love of money. Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees in Luke sixteen thirteen, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then Luke comments, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. That's another form of hypocrisy, says Piper. Shoot the messenger of truth, rescue yourself with ridicule. You can hear the zeal of Jesus burning in Matthew twenty three twenty five. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. In other words, you put up a fine display of religious helpfulness in the temple marketplace, but you're driven by the love of money, not the love of God. And brothers and sisters, you can have money and be a Christian. You can... um you can do that, but you can't love both God and money. We can't. We mustn't be driven by the love of money. When we are, we are replacing the greatest treasure, which is the love of God. And I think this is the thing that gets Jesus so incensed, particularly when it is seen in the leaders of the house of God, when it is seen in those who should be pointing people to the treasures of God and of knowing God, and rather they are pointing themselves to bilking and fleecing the flock out of their money. It was a horrifyingly abominable offense in Jesus's day, and it still is today when we encounter it. Lord, save us from greed let's keep reading. Joshua chapter 14, verse 1. The Israelites received these impor- these portions that the priest Eleazar, Joshua son of Nun, and the family heads of the Israelite tra- tribes gave them in the land of Canaan. Their inheritance was by lot as the Lord commanded through Moses for the nine and a half tribes because Moses had given the inheritance to the two and a half tribes beyond the Jordan. But he gave no inheritance among them to the Levites. The descendants of Joseph became two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. No portion of the land was given to the Levites except cities to live in, along with pasture lands for their cattle and livestock. So the Israelites did as the Lord commanded Moses, and they divided the land. The descendants of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord promised Moses the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the Lord's servant, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to scout the land, and I brought back an honest report. My brothers who went with me caused the people to lose heart, but I followed the Lord my God completely. On that day, Moses swore to me, The land where you have set foot will be an inheritance for you and your descendants forever, because you have followed the Lord my God completely. As you see... The Lord has kept me alive these 45 years as he promised since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. Here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. My strength for battle and for daily tasks is now as it was then. Now give me this hill country the Lord promised me on that day, because you heard then that the Anakim are there, as well as large fortified cities— Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord promised. Then Joshua blessed Caleb son of Jephunah and made him and gave him Hebron as an inheritance. Therefore Hebron still belongs to Caleb son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, as an inheritance today because he followed the Lord the God of Israel completely. Hebron's name used to be Kariath arba Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. After this the land had rest for more Joshua chapter 15. Now the allotment for the tribe of the descendants of Judah by their clans was in the southernmost region, south to the wilderness of Zin and over to the border of Edom. Their southern border began at the tip of the Red Sea on the south bay and went south of the Scorpion's ascent, proceeded to Zin, ascended to the south of Kadesh-Barnea, passed Hazron, ascended to Adar, and turned to Karka. It proceeded to Asmon and to the brook of Egypt, and so the border ended at the Mediterranean Sea. This is your southern border. Now the eastern border was along the Dead Sea to the mouth of the Jordan. The border on the north side was from the bay of the sea at the mouth of the Jordan. It ascended to Beth-Hagla, proceeded north of beth Araba, and descended to the stone of Bohan, son of Reuben. Then the border descended to Debir from the valley of Achor, turning north to the Gilgal that is the opposite the ascent of Edomium, which is south of the ravine. The border proceeded to the waters of En-Shemesh and ended it in Rogel. From there the border ascended ben Hanam Valley to the southern Jebusite slope, that is Jerusalem, and ascended to the top of the hill that faces Hinnom Valley on the west at the nor- northern end of the Rephaim Valley. From the top of the hill, the border curved to the spring of the waters of Nephtoah, went into the cities of Mount Ephron, and then curved to Baalah, that is Keriath-Jerim. The border turned westward from Baalah to Mount Seir, went to the northern slope of Mount Jerim, that is Cheselon, descended to Beth-Shemesh, and proceeded to Temna. Then the border reached to the slope north of Akron, curved to Shekeron, proceeded to Mount Baala, went to Jabneel, and ended at the Mediterranean Sea. Now, the western border was the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. This was the boundary of the descendants of Judah around their clans. Can- he gave Caleb, son of Japhona the following portion among the descendants of Judah, based on the Lord's instruction to Joshua. Cariath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak. Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, descendants of Anak. From there he marched against the inhabitants of Debir, which used to be called Kiriath-sephir. And Caleb said, Whoever attacks and captures Kiriath-sephir, I will give my daughter Aksha to him as a wife. So Othniel, son of Caleb's brother Kenaz, captured it, and Caleb gave his daughter Aksha to him as a wife. When she arrived, she persuaded Othniel to ask her father for a field. As she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, What can I do for you? She replied, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the Negev, give me the screen- springs also. So he gave her the upper and lower springs. This was the inheritance of the tribe of descendants of Judah by their clans. These were the outermost cities of the tribe of the descendants of Judah toward the border of Edom in the Negev. Kabzil, Edur, Jagger. Kina, Demona, Adada, Kedesh, Hazar, Ithnan, Zif, Talim, Biloth, Hatzor, Hadata, Karioth, Hezron, that is, Hazor, Imam, Shema, Molada, Hazar, Gada, Heshmon, Beth Pellet, Hazar, Shuel, Beersheba, Bezothiah, Bala, Im, Itzim, Eltalad, Chezil, Horma, Ziklag, Medmanah, Sansana, Lebaoth, Shalim, Ain, and Ramon, 29 cities in all with their settlements, and the Judean foothills, Eshtal, Zora, Ashna, Zenoa, Ingenim, Tapua, Inam, Jarmuth, Adulam, Soka, Azekah, Shaarim, Adithiam, Gedera, and Gedera-Thame, 14 cities with their settlements, Zenan, Hadasha, Migdal-Gad, Delan, Mizpah, Joktha-El, Lakish, Bazkath, Eglon, Kabon, Lachman, Chitlish, Gedaroth, Beth, Dagon, Neama, Makeda, 16 cities with their settlements. Libna, Ether, Ashan, Iftha, Ashna, Netseb, Kela, Akzeb, and Marasha, 9 cities with their settlements. Ekron, with its surrounding villages and settlements. From Ekron to the sea, all the cities near Ashdod with their settlements, Ashdod with its surrounding villages and settlements, Gaza with its surrounding villages and settlements to the brook of Egypt and the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. In the hill country, Shemir, Jeter, Sokod, Dana, Kiriath Sana, that is, Debir, Anab, Eshtema, Anim, Goshen, Holon, and set 11 cities with their settlements, Arab, Duma, Eshan, Janim, Beth, Tapua, Afaka, Humta, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, and Zior, nine cities with their settlements. Maon, Carmel, Ziph, Jutah, Jezreel, Jokdeem, Zenoah, Cain, Gibeah, and Timnah, ten cities with their settlements. Halhul, Bithzur, Gedor, Ma'arath, Bel-Anath, Beth-Anath, and el six cities with their settlements. Kiriath-Baal, that is Kiriath-Jerim, and Rabbah, two cities with their settlements. In the wilderness, Beth-Arabah, Medim, Sekakah, Nibshan, the city of Salt, and Engedi, gedi six cities with their settlements. But the descendants of Judah cannot drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem, so the Jebusites still live in Jerusalem among the descendants of Judah today. All right, now I want you guys to take out a pen and a paper and mark all of these locations that I mentioned and their alternative names on a piece of paper accurately, just as Joshua described them for us. And I'll wait for you to be finished. Okay, actually, I'm not going to wait. Psalm 146, verse 1. Hallelujah, my soul, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. Do not trust in nobles and a son of man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God reigns for all generations. Hallelujah. Psalm 147. Hallelujah. How good it is to sing to our God, for praise is pleasant and lovely. The Lord rebuilds Jerusalem. He gathers Israel's exiled people. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord helps the oppressed but brings the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Play the lyre to our God who covers the sky with clouds, prepares rain for the earth, and causes grass to grow on the hills. He provides the animals with their food and the young ravens what they cry for. He's not impressed by the strength of a horse. He does not value the power of a warrior. The Lord values those who fear him, those who put their hope in his faithful love. Exalt the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your city gates and blesses your children within you. He endows your territory with prosperity. He satisfies you with the finest wheat. He sends his command throughout the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He throws his hailstones like crumbs. Who can withstand his cold? He sends his word and melts them. He unleashes his winds and the water flows. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and judgments to Israel. He has not done this for every nation. They do not know his judgments. Hallelujah. Hallelujah indeed, dear friends. May the Lord give you a good Saturday and a good Sunday, a good Lord's Day. We will see you soon. Good day and Godspeed.